the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Today's guest, Marcy Zaroff, teaches how to live and shop in harmony with nature without foregoing style or luxury. She provides resources to transform your life through the choices you make. Marcy is an internationally recognized eco-lifestyle entrepreneur and educator. She is the co-founder of the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, Good Catch, and Beyond Brands. And she's the author of the new book, Eco-Renaissance, a lifestyle guide for creating a stylish, sexy, and sustainable world. Welcome, Marcy. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, John. It's great to be with you today. So, Marcy, you've been an entrepreneur for years, much of the time in the sustainable fashion and or conscious business space. For those who may not be familiar with the term, what does eco-lifestyle mean? Yeah, so an eco-lifestyle is one that kind of represents a holistic system where there's an understanding of our relationship with the environment and the full ecosystem around us, right? So um, in the book, I speak a lot about the connection between food and beauty and fashion and business and art and wellness because they are all inter- interconnected on many different levels. Mm-hmm. And and so today when people are embracing more conscious decisions in the choices that they're making – you know, there's an understanding that you can't really support one piece without the other because of this interconnection. So, for instance, people who are eating organic food today may not realize it, um, but organic fashion and organic beauty products are very much built on that same mindset that we want to avoid things that are toxic to our bodies or that harm ourselves or the environment. And I think this is something, as you said, many of us don't even think about. And it almost seems like it's difficult to escape these dangers. What are some of the biggest risks that consumers face today? Well, um, you know, when we when we look at our food system as a starting point, which is often where people do have that seed planted, mm-hmm. um, you know, we've gotten so far removed from food being healing and nourishing and nurturing and, you know, giving us the strength um, and the vitality that it's meant to provide us with. I mean, Hippocrates once said, let food be thy medicine, right? You know, food is an extension of ourselves. It's the energy we're putting in our bodies that becomes who we are. That's why people say you are what you eat. However, in today's world, if you really look at, you know, the food system, it's become such uh, a system based on, you know, on an industrialized methodology and mindset that there's a detachment from what that energy actually is. And if you pull the curtain back and you start reading the labels on many of the foods that are out there today, um, you wouldn't be able to pronounce a lot of the ingredients. You know, there's so many chemicals. And then you look at agriculture and which is another whole piece of this equation. And, you know, we've we've destroyed much of the soil on our planet, which is the skin of the earth, because we've, you know, been using conventional methods of agriculture. And, uh, and that includes things like glyphosate and pesticides and fertilizers that are harmful. And, you know, we've broken down those ecosystems in our soil, and we depend on those. So, you know, in an organic methodology or mindset, it's, you know, healthy soil creates healthy plants, which creates healthy 
people. And so it goes back to, you know, pulling the curtain back and starting to unveil, you know, what are the human and environmental impacts of the choices that we're making every day, you know, food and beyond. This is for everything. I mean, recently I had to purchase a mattress and to do the research to get a mattress that would be a healthier option for me and my family, it's daunting, to be honest. So where can someone begin? You you mentioned food, but if we're looking at all aspects of our life, let's simplify this a little bit for our listeners. Where should we begin and what can we do to make healthier choices? Yeah, so, um, you know, the, the book really maps out a lot of resources from brands to look for to websites to go to. Um, obviously, the Internet has changed the game for this whole movement. I've been living this lifestyle for nearly three decades. And, you know, we used to be kind of the uh, hippie, crunchy, frumpy, you know, perceived to be that way. I was always very stylish and always loved high quality and great product. But, but you know, there were stigmas that were always attached to this movement, you know, the alternative, right? But, you know, it's, it's a new day today. And, you know, for food as an example, you know, this isn't about Whole Foods markets anymore. This is, you know, you can buy organic and healthier food choices on Amazon where you can read reviews and you can read about the products or you can go to Thrive Market online. Um, you know, you, there are so many opportunities today, you know, to shop um, in mainstream stores like Costco is the biggest buyer of organic food today. And CVS and Dwayne Reed and Walgreens are lining their shelves with eco-friendly beauty products. You know, mm-hmm. this is no longer um, about staying ahead. It's about not being left behind. You know, this movement is, you know, somewhat contagious because I think once people, you know, once people have that seed planted and they realize that, you know, we we don't have to make choices that ultimately are compromising, you know, human and environmental health or future generations, we can have it all. So I think that where the breakthroughs have happened and where people can find information is really everything from mainstream stores um, to uh, being online um, and going down into specifics. You know, in my book, Eco Renaissance, I lay out in every chapter lots and lots of tips and resources. Are there designations that people should look for when making selections? So I'm a big believer in third-party certification because it's not a perfect system, but it certainly, you know, has a higher likelihood um, of being reassured as a consumer that, you know, the products you're buying are, in fact, what they say they are, right? So in the case of food, the USDA organic seal, as an example, where most people do recognize that seal, you know, that is a federally governed, a federally regulated program. And there are, you know, there are ramifications and and finds that, you know, a company who would be misusing that seal would be subjected to. So it kind of puts in a system in place when you have something like that. Um, our equivalent in the fashion space would be the GOTS seal, the Global Organic Textile Standard. So when you bought that mattress, yes. I hope it was GOTS certified. It was. Um, <laughs> perfect. And that would mean it's free of all the harmful chemicals. And it's not just about the cotton itself in the in the mattress or in the clothing or the bedding products. It's about, you know, what's going into the finishes, the dyes, you know, the processing of that product. And people don't even realize I talk a little bit about we are what we eat, but we're also, you know, what we wear or what we sleep on or what we put on our bodies, not just what we put in our bodies. You know, a conventional cotton textile, whether it's your bed sheet or your towel or it's your jeans and T-shirt or it's your mattress, can be absolutely ridden with harmful chemicals that your skin is up against. Sometimes for 24 hours a day, you know, we wear a lot of cotton. We use a lot of cotton products. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you when you pull the curtain back and you look at, you know, the pesticides, insecticides, cotton being one of the most heavily sprayed industries in agriculture. And then you also look at the chlorine bleach and sometimes even heavy metals, dyes that are toxic, formaldehyde, um, you know, and other ingredients that are going into these products, you know, and then we wonder why, you know, a third of the population has asthma and allergies and skin conditions. And um, it's just a matter of stopping and reflecting on that and and logically saying, you know, are the choices that we making that we're making actually helping us or harming us? Marcy, for the average person who goes into their local shopping mall and they go into some of the, you know, the more well-known brand department stores, 
What types of garments would they be finding on the rack? Would there be any healthier options? So I think the um, I think there's a there's a couple layers to that, right? There's a couple of buckets within the, the world of sustainable fashion that are um, very important today. So one of them, as I already have mentioned, is you know looking for organic um, cotton over conventional cotton and high end like Stella McCartney to mm-hmm. mass market like H and M to brands like Outer Known and Mara Hoffman and Patagonia and Prana. Um, there are a lot of companies out there, and I think that again going back to having the internet, you know, we can we can really learn about the brands that we're hoarding, and I think that that's a very helpful thing to do. I think you're not going to find, you know, sustainable fashion as ubiquitous, you know, as conventional today, but I think that the train is leaving the station, and you're going to see more and more as each year goes by. Um, so, um, you know, I think it's, it's a matter of um, having that awareness. Um, mm-hmm. You don't know, you know, I think the key to this movement going to the next level is definitely increased accessibility. My brand that I founded in 1996 uh, called Under the Canopy is a brand that sells at Bed Bath & Beyond. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, um, Conscious Food is now available everywhere on menus. Um, but going back to, you know, the textile question, so that is one bucket, you know, is organic. There's another, there's another thing to look for, and that would be zero waste or recycled or circular. And I think that that um, is another issue that we have in the fashion industry. You know, the amount of waste that's generated, I mean, more than 5% of landfill space, 10% of the world's carbon footprint is coming out of the fashion industry, the amount of um, the amount of energy that's being used and, and to produce, you know, fast fashion. Um, 20% of the world's freshwater pollution is coming from textile treatment and dyeing. So when we look at, you know, buying things that are recycled, we're not, you know, buying virgin, which are, again, kind of really um, using a tremendous amount of our Earth's resources in the process. So there's also fair trade, and that's another, not only another um, thing to look for, but it's another um, label that you can find, uh, Fair Trade USA, which people are used to seeing on coffee or, you know, ice cream. But today you can buy Fair Trade certified textiles, um, and that is also a growing movement. And if you check out Fair Trade USA, you could probably get a list of all those brands. So I think there's a, as people are entering this world, I think it's a matter of, you know, um, education and and re- and recognizing that um, you need to know what you're looking for and and I think um, but there's a, a greater um, there's a, a greater proliferation now that's happening in sustainable fashion based on the younger generations the younger designers um, Eileen Fisher is just exploding as a brand right now and I think it's very telling those companies that are doing the right thing and Patagonia and Eileen Fisher being, you know, um, leaders, you know, I think you're seeing them, uh, you're seeing growth rate that is much growth rates that are much stronger than their conventional counterparts. And Marcy, your work is so important. And this is such an important conversation to have, because as you were speaking, I was thinking about all the people that are dealing with chronic disease in their body. You mentioned asthma and inflammatory issues and all of these things that people are suffering from. And I would bet anything that they do not think about things like their clothing, the furniture in their home, the items that they're surrounded by as a potential cause of whatever they're going through. Absolutely. And that is where education comes in. And that's one of the reasons I've, I've written the book. It's, you know, to me, there's a, an element of the book that is just logic. You know, mm-hmm. when you, you know, the book is called Eco Renaissance, which is rebirth and the, that awakening that we're part of the ecosystem and that also we are connected to nature. We're not outside of nature. We're a part of it. We have a symbiotic relationship. We breathe out you know, oxygen, we breathe out carbon dioxide and the plants breathe it in, the plants breathe out oxygen, we breathe it in. And what we've done is we've infused our lifestyle with so many harsh chemicals and and toxic ingredients, you know, with this naivety that the government is protecting us, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But if you really start to, you know, research what's in the food, the clothing, the beauty products, the cosmetics, the flooring, the paint, the things that are surrounding us every day that we're breathing in, that we're, you know, putting on our skin, the largest organ in our body and primary organ for absorption, you'd start to, that logic, that light would start to go off that, oh, you know, and I, I, I pose a lot of questions in my book around this. Like, would you, if there was a, 
you know, a, a small dish and it was mixed with different chemicals, would you stick your finger in it and, and rub that on your skin, you know? And, I, and maybe that's an extreme version. But, you know, in a sense, when you look at um, what, what we're doing and, you know, to um, in our surroundings and, the, and, you know, the faster, cheaper, more mentality has only, you know, um, propelled that. Right. Mm-hmm. Where right. where the quality of things is going down and deteriorating um, it, you know, in the name of better prices. And people are just we've got to, like, reverse that because business as usual is not sustainable on any level anymore. And, and like I said, these are things that we just don't think about. Now, Marcy, when you go out and you speak at conferences and gatherings around the world, what do you find that the business world is most interested in? Do you think they're catching on now? I do. I think that, you know, this is no longer a choice but an imperative. And the good leaders, the good business leaders of today, they know that to stay relevant, um, they have to be thinking about sustainability and, you know, the five Ps, which is people, planet, profit, passion, and purpose in order to stay relevant. So what's changed that is transparency and the, the Internet. And, you know, today, unlike when I was growing up, you know, you can actually ask the question, what's in my food, where to come from, how was it grown, where was it made, you know, and you can ask the same thing about your clothing, you know, who's making it, where is it made, where, you know, um, you know, what am I wearing? And, and we couldn't ask those questions before. And, you know, there's actually a big movement called fashion revolution who made my clothes is the, is the hashtag. And, um, you know, I think that because of that retailers and brands recognize that, you know, we have the ability to tell stories with social media and digital marketing. And today it's, you know, what used to be a a competitive advantage to tell stories is a necessity because if you're not telling a transparent and authentic story that's connected to your product, someone's going to, you know, someone's going to tell that story for you. And so you better be thinking about, you know, that how you're building your, your business models um, because, you know, the social media can be your best friend, but it can also be your worst enemy if you're not doing the right thing. And I think that that's forcing companies who aren't mission aligned, mission driven or, or values driven. It's forcing them to, to wake up. Um, people within their companies are trying to champion change. Um, you know, there are green teams and sustainability uh, directors or, or, um, or executives in pretty much every major corporation. And, and I think good business today, you know, isn't just focusing on the bottom line. And when you look at, you know, the, the growth of the B Corp movement, um, that's a testament to this. There are just more and more companies that are surfacing every day that are embracing, um, you know, the, the social accountability, the environmental responsibility um, as, you know, as business imperatives. Marcy, as, as people are listening to you now, I know that when they hear words like organic or, or they hear the types of products that you're talking about, they automatically believe that it must be much more costly. And, and they say, you know, I don't have the time to research this. I don't have the money to buy those things. What would you say to those people? Yeah, so I think there are three myths that have come with this movement. And um, myth number one is that you have to give something up. And in in the case of food, it's going to be tasteless. It's going to be boring. It's going to, you know, granola and brown rice mentality. If it's if it's fashion, you know, it's it's crunchy, frumpy, boxy, beige, boring, you know, style, it's potato sack, right? Um, if it's beauty products, it's not going to work. It's not going to, fun- you know, be functional. It's the, you know, the smell's going to wear off. I mean, there's just kind of these these stigmas. And the book, you know, Eco-Renaissance that I wrote is really the premise is through the lens of design and redesign, we can change the world. So we have to drive with you know, food that tastes great and fashion that looks great and beauty products that are functional and smell great and business that makes money. I mean, you have to drive with those basic tenants. And then it's, oh, by the way, it's also organic, sustainable, ethically made, fair trade, plant-based, you know, on and on and on. And similar to the second myth, the second myth is, well, it's going to cost so much more. It's for the elite. You know, I can't afford it. But Really what that has come down to is driving innovation in this world, um, again, through redesign and recognizing that um, 
being, you know, being smart in business is understanding how to build efficient supply chains and supply and demand are a big part of the economic model in, in building a business, right? So in the early years before there was a lot of demand, you know, there were more challenges in building supply chains. But today, because more and more people, you know, are joining this eco-renaissance movement, um, we in all of these sectors are able to be more collaborative, more innovative, more vertically integrated, more efficient, and then we can add value to the products and pass that value on to the consumer with no compromise. The book is Eco-Renaissance, A Lifestyle Guide for Co-Creating a Stylish, Sexy, and Sustainable World. If you'd like to get more information about Marcy and her work, you can visit MarcyZaroff.com. Marcy, in about 30 seconds or less, what's the takeaway? Hmm, the takeaway really is that we all are part of, you know, what we experience every day. And I think at the core of who we all are, we want happiness, we want love, we want peace. We can create that, we can co-create that, we can have fun while we're doing it so that we can choose smart and we can protect, you know, human and environmental health and future generations. Marcy, thank you so much for being here with us. As I said, this is such an important conversation because we really need to educate ourselves about what we surround ourselves with, what we put on our body, and what we put in our body. So your work is really changing lives, and I'm so happy that you were here to share this with us. Thank you so much. And um, again, you know, we're all, we're all a part of, we all live under the canopy of this planet's ecosystem together. We're all in this together. So let's create a positive, uh, healthy, greener, cleaner future for all. Amen. This is Thank Conversations you. with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Imagine running your own business that generates seven figures in revenue. If this sounds like something you'd like to achieve, then join me on Wednesday, December 12th for a special Conversations with Joan event, Building a Million Dollar Business. My guest will be Elaine Pofelt, a writer for Forbes.com. Elaine will explain how to identify, launch, and grow a high-revenue earning business. She'll discuss why this is a good time to start a business, the challenges entrepreneurs face, the top categories for earning seven figures, and how to get on track to achieve high earnings. The event will be held at the Raphael Center in Clifton, New Jersey. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash conversations. I hope to see you there. Let's start talking. It's time for To Your Health. Joining me today is Ed Gaelic, a life and health insurance broker and founder of PSI Consultants located in Glenrock, New Jersey. Ed is here today to talk about the current healthcare open enrollment period. Welcome, Ed. Thanks for joining us. Nice to be with you, Joan. So, Ed, the healthcare open enrollment period has begun, and this is a time that impacts many of us. So, for those who may not be familiar, what is open enrollment? Well, back when Obamacare was passed. They did away with pre-existing condition exclusions, and that resulted in having certain times when you can come into the system and buy health insurance. That is called an open enrollment period. And when does this period take place? For individuals, the open enrollment period begins on November 1st for this year, 2018, and will end on December 15th, 2018 for an effective date of insurance of January 1st, 2019. Healthcare has been such a hot topic, as we all know. Have there been any changes that will impact us in 2019? Well, there have been a few, and I'll go back in time and say that the open enrollment period was extended in previous years, so people had a little extra time to try to enroll. The system was, uh, the government tried to get more people enrolled. Uh, that is not the case this year. Um, there were also, under uh, the Trump administration, the individual mandate was to have gone away in 2019, forcing people to buy insurance, and if they didn't have it, to have a penalty. 
However, in certain states like New Jersey, uh, they've enacted their own rules and laws that require individuals that live in the state to have insurance. So there are changes, but there are federal, there may be state changes. You just have to be aware it could be from either. Ed, who should be paying attention to the open enrollment period? Who needs to participate? Well, anybody that doesn't have any coverage now, this is their window of opportunity to buy insurance during this open enrollment period for January 1st. Uh, anybody that wants to add dependents that they previously did not have on their plan, this would be their opportunity. Anybody that wants, wants to make any kind of changes to their plan, this would be their opportunity. And what happens if we don't take advantage of this time? Then you're going to be without insurance unless you have what's called a triggering event to open up a special open enrollment period. How does a person go about selecting insurance during open enrollment? They can go on to the healthcare.gov website. It's a marketplace for insurance. There's various insurance companies that are on there, and you can pick a plan, and you put in income information, and possibly you could qualify for a subsidy depending on your income level, and that would be a taxpayer subsidy where uh, the premium is the premium, whether you bought it uh, on the insurance on the exchange or off the exchange, but the difference would be on the exchange, you would uh, be, that would be the only place that you would qualify for a, a taxpayer subsidy. If a person isn't well-versed on the computer, is there a place that he or she can go to get help with this? Well, we don't get involved with online uh, enrollment. We will help somebody uh, off exchange. That person might be somebody that might not qualify for a subsidy, because if you do, it probably would make sense for you to go online. And there are toll-free numbers that uh, there are representatives that could probably help you. Outside of the marketplace, you could talk to a broker that is uh, licensed in life and health, and they would be able to work you through choosing plans, choosing you know what's right for you, uh, and how much it would cost you, et cetera. Now, you just mentioned if a person qualifies. So how does a person know if he or she should participate in the marketplace or not? Well, the rules have changed, but initially it was uh, if you had income that was around 133% of the poverty level all the way up to 400% of the poverty level, you would qualify for a, a subsidy. And the closer you were to 100%, the more money you would get back or credited. And the closer you were to 400% of the poverty level, uh, you would phase out of any kind of taxpayer subsidy. So depending on uh, a family situation, uh, income for the family, how many children, this it's a scale. So it's hard to tell you a number, but just ballpark it. Uh, $15,000 for a single person is probably at the poverty level. Now, Ed, what if a person is employed by a company that offers health insurance? What does this mean to him or her? If they're eligible, I would jump at that opportunity as opposed to going into the individual market. Uh, almost exclusively individual products uh, have local networks only, and they have in-network benefits only. If you have an opportunity to purchase insurance, whether there's an employee contribution or not from, a, you know, from your employer or through your employer, uh, there may be national networks available. There might be out-of-network benefits available. There'll be more plan designs. Rates, hard to tell whether it would be more favorable uh, in the group market versus individual. I would think it would be, from my experience. But the biggest thing is you'll have more choices through an employer's plan. Plus, any amount of money that an employer puts uh, into the plan on your behalf is income tax-free. So you're getting a benefit through an employer that you wouldn't otherwise have, because any kind of premium you'd pay individually is all after-tax dollars. Ed, we've been talking about open enrollment in relationship to an individual, but how does this period impact a business owner? What does that person need to know? That's a great question. The open enrollment period for a company to start a plan could happen anytime. So if you meet the definition of a, of a company, and there are rules, uh, and you can meet the uh, requirements to have group insurance, you could start a plan at any time, and then you can include your employees that are eligible. If you have a plan, your open enrollment period would be your annual anniversary date. So if you started a plan on June 1st, the following year, June 1st, would be your open enrollment period where an employee that previously waived off could join, an employee that previously didn't include dependents could add dependents, an employee that had plan A and really wanted plan B could, if the company offers multiple plans, could change plans. So that's the window of opportunity 
to be able to uh, join or make changes. And, and one notable point, John, if you miss the, and I mentioned the word triggering event to open up a special open enrollment period, if you miss an open enrollment opportunity, whether it's individual or on the group market, and you have a triggering event, you can then come in off the open enrollment period. A triggering event could be you get married, you have a baby, you adopt a baby, uh, you lose other coverage involuntarily. Those would be uh, special open enrollment periods to allow you to get in. Ed, thank you so much for joining us to explain the basics of what we need to know. If you would like to get more information about Ed or this topic, you can visit psi consultants.com. We'll be right back. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. My next guest, Elizabeth Miles Graham, experienced sexual harassment and discrimination when she was in her mid-20s working at a Wall Street firm. She is here today to share her story and to offer support for others who have gone through a similar experience. Elizabeth is the author of the upcoming book, You Know What They Say. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, Elizabeth, years ago, when you were in your mid-20s, you experienced harassment and discrimination. What was it that happened to you? Well, Joan, both actually happened pretty routinely and on several levels. Some of it was right under my nose and I didn't even realize it, like taking accounts away from me. Um, and others were pretty blatant and obvious to inappropriate speech and uh, extremely inappropriate physical contact, um, aggression by more than one man in my department. And both were senior to me. What was that time like for you? Joan, I was so naive in the very beginning. I thought, you know, I was so excited just to be considered for the position, no less have it offered to me. I felt like I was lucky enough to even be there. Um, I just thought that that's the way it goes. I had to follow along. Um, everyone around me in our group seemed to have a general understanding that that was the culture and it was accepted as normal or, you know, people just chose to overlook it so that it wasn't their problem if they weren't directly involved. Um, but with every incident, I began to just feel this disgusting feeling. I just felt worse and worse. And I slowly began to realize that I shouldn't have to deal with this. I shouldn't have to feel this way every single morning when I'm going to work. Um, I describe in my book one actual situation, which was with my boss, that that was my breaking point And I had had enough. And I said, that's it. I, I can't do this anymore. I can't be in this environment anymore. And when that occurred, when you realized that this wasn't what you wanted any longer, did you report what happened? Did, were you expecting people to stand behind you? What happened then? So I actually did report what happened. But like I mentioned earlier, um, it did. It was occurring routinely. And for for quite some time, I, you know, of course, in retrospect, I should have said something sooner, but I didn't. Um, so not immediately did I say something. Um, but I, uh, at my breaking point, I finally did say something. And I did expect a little support once I did say something. But it turns out the outcome of that was not what I had expected. Ultimately, it was it was awful. Um, once I reported it, um, they really were, were kind of sloppy. The company was sloppy with the way that they handled handled everything. There were absolutely no repercussions for one of the men at all. Um, and they did absolutely nothing to protect me. Uh, you know, I know anonymity was hard going into it. It would be very difficult to say, okay, I'm going to make this complaint, but you can't tell everyone it was me. I realized that 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 was difficult, but they didn't do, take any steps to even help that situation for me. They also didn't any, take, take any steps to protect me from the anger and outrage, yes, believe it or not, of the other group members. There weren't any repercussions for him, but what were the repercussions for you? Since there were two men involved, they felt that one of the, you know, they handled it properly with one of the men and the other man, you know, it was more of a he said, she said type of situation. And everyone else couldn't believe. They couldn't believe that the, the one man that ended up getting terminated, I did that to him. 
that was my fault. How could I do that to him? Um, I was completely ostracized and harassed. I was called some of the nastiest names um, from these other people because they couldn't believe that I did that to him to get him terminated. I eventually had to leave. Did your family and friends support you through this? Absolutely, 100%, without question or hesitation. I have an amazing family, my nuclear family and my extended family. Uh, We're all pretty close. Um, My friends have been my friends since my high school days and elementary school days, and I'm still friends to them this day. I, I think about it every day, how... I was so grateful for their support, even when I wasn't at my best. You know, there were times where I was dismissive of them and they didn't care. They they knew it wasn't the real me. They knew what I was going through. You know, they never questioned what I was saying as being untrue. They know I wouldn't make up something or just cause grief and anxiety for no reason. Um, but yes, I had the full support of my fam- family and friends. Elizabeth, what should people who experience something similar to you do? People that experience something like this should know that, that, that they're not alone. In, in today's climate, we have so many more resources available to everyone now. The smartest thing to do is seek these resources out, especially if you don't have the support of the people around you like I did. It's a really wonderful thing that people responded to what is happening in our culture right now and developed these resources. So you keep mentioning the word resources. Are there any that you can recommend, anything that you've learned from going through this that is a good source of help? Actually, one of the most amazing resources is Time's Up. The Time's Up Now movement, the Time's Up Legal Defense Fund, all stems from the Me Too campaign that began about a year ago. Um, Time's Up is for survivors of sexual harassment or abuse in the workplace. It's a place where they can, you know, get legal help and support that they need. Um, And that all began uh, this year. Why did you write this book, You Know What They Say? You know, Joan, it's so funny because initially when this was all happening, I wrote it as a part of my therapy and treatment. Um, I had sought therapy because the ordeal was so traumatic for me. I ended up spiraling into a pretty severe depression, actually to the point of hospitalization. And I talk about that. I'm very open about that in my book. Um, So my therapist suggested, why don't you maybe start writing this down? Uh, It can be cathartic. And of course, at first I laughed her off. I'm like, please, writing, that's like a task. I can't even begin to think where I begin with that. And, you know, after a half a dozen times or so that she suggested it during my sessions, I finally said, all right, let me let me try this. And I just started a journal and wrote everything down in chronological order. And as that was happening, I was like, this really isn't very cohesive. So I decided to kind of make it a story. And I wrote it as a story. And all the people involved were characters. And I narrated it. And that story Once I was, you know, finished, which was, like I said, about 15 years ago or so, I filed it away with my receipts from my therapist and my journal. And that was that. I never I never imagined anything would come of it. And then a year ago, when the Me Too movement started, I realized, wow, I am so not alone in this. There are so many people out there, men and women, who are experiencing this. And it amazed me. And I wanted to do something where I could help people that were involved in this. So I revisited my story. And then the Time's Up Legal Defense Fund came uh, the beginning of the year. And I said, all right, now is, now is how I can really hope to make a positive impact and a difference. Um, I rewrote it. I rewrote it with different names. Um, I took creative liberties with dates and events and the dialogue to protect the privacy of all the people involved, um, including myself. So I am publishing under a pseudonym, um, but I'm, I'm not looking to call anyone out or get anyone in trouble by revisiting this book and having it published. I, I want to bring more awareness to this very important issue, and I really want to help other people. And it's my sincerest hope at some point to have 
a percentage of, of any proceeds of the sale of this book to go towards the Time's Up Legal Defense Fund. I'm still considering what percentage I can donate to make a positive impact, and I have to figure out a lot of the details as we go through um, the publishing process. The book is You Know What They Say by Elizabeth Miles Graham. Elizabeth, where can our listeners go to to get more information, and what is the takeaway? What would you like to leave them with? You are not alone is my takeaway. You are not alone. I know there were times where I, even with the support of the people around me, I felt alone, but you are not alone. There is so much help out there, and there are so many people, more than you can ever imagine, that are going through similar situations. Um, I have set up social media accounts, Elizabeth Miles Graham, uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And I will, over the coming months, I will be posting information and details on the book release. And I also repost and share information from Time's Up and other resources that are available out there. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us. You are so courageous for standing up for yourself and taking your power back. And I know that you will inspire so many who are feeling the way that you do. So thank you for being here. Thank you for inspiring us. And thank you for sharing. Joan, thank you for having me. And thank you to your listeners. I really appreciate it. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. We all know we're supposed to exercise, but how much do we really need? I'm Christina Nemec, co-founder of PATH Health Consultants. Here at PATH, we focus on using lifestyle to prevent and manage health risks. We're a workplace wellness firm dedicated to improving the bottom line of the organizations we work with. Our innovative, personalized approach to wellness supports employees as they adopt and sustain behaviors that improve or maintain their health. In addition, we offer a variety of health seminars and workshops to companies interested in educating and supporting their employees in a group setting. The American College of Sports Medicine, or the ACSM, has guidelines for how much exercise you need to maintain your health. They recommend 150 minutes of moderate intensity cardiovascular exercise every week. Sounds like a lot? It's not when you consider that you can break it up any way you want. A brisk 10 minutes spent walking the dog each morning and you're already almost halfway there. The ACSM also suggests that you incorporate resistance training twice a week. If you are a beginner, you can visit your local gym to get a professional lesson, or you can even take a class. Remember, this is just the minimum amount of exercise you need to be healthy. Every step counts. If you'd like more information on workplace wellness, please contact us at pathhealthllc.com. That's pathhealthllc.com. I often hear, I know what to do to be healthy, I just have to do it. Does this sound like something you might say? If we know the right things to do, then why is it so difficult to follow through with action? Hi there, my name is Jackie Klein, owner of Jackie Klein Nutrition. Life in general can be stressful and overwhelming. The more we take on, the easier it is to put ourselves on the back burner. But if we recognize change needs to be made and slowly implement one lifestyle change at a time, these daunting tasks become attainable. Give these four simple steps in four weeks a try. Week one, just focus on drinking more water. Slowly each day, increase your water and take a little. By the end of the week, you should be at half your healthy body weight in ounces of water. Week two, slowly reduce your caffeine intake to one eight ounce cup per day, avoiding artificial sweeteners and creamers. Try using a non-dairy option like almond milk and sweetening with stevia or local honey. Third week, work on fueling your body appropriately by eating breakfast within an hour of waking and eating every meal and snack two to three hours apart. It's not the quantity of what you're eating, it's quality. Week four, get moving 20 to 30 minutes a day. Walking, stretching, or yoga are all great options. Being consistent with these four simple steps will have a big impact on how you feel as well as setting the foundation needed for you to achieve your health goals. For more information on simple lifestyle changes to better your health, please visit my website, JackieKleinNutrition.com. 
When determining what the most appropriate exercise is during pregnancy, reaching out to your doctor can be a very valuable choice. I'm Dr. Michael Magwood, chiropractor specializing in prenatal chiropractic as well as prenatal exercise through our IMX Pilates franchise. Today I have for you a couple of tips on exercise during pregnancy. The first tip is to start the exercise you want, if possible, even prior to pregnancy. For runners, I suggest limiting your mileage to 5 kilometers per day, unless you're used to more prior. We would hope to raise your heart rate, but without complete exhaustion. Ina Mae Gaskin, an American hero in midwifery, suggested simply 300 squats per day would lead to a rapid birth. We love her idea, and in fact, now we've built upon it and have a very specific Pilates program. We don't recommend hot exercise, internally raising your body temperature, but we do recommend strengthening of the pelvic floor and building the stamina that will not only support an easier, safer delivery, but help with a rapid recovery. For answers to more of your questions about chiropractic and exercise, feel free to reach out to our offices in Clifton, New Jersey and in New York City at purebalancecenter.com. Correcting the critical mind. Hi, my name is Richard Perro. I am a transformational life coach, speaker and author. How often do we find ourselves thinking comments and making judgments about people simply because they happen to come into our view? It's such an unconscious action that we do not even realize we're doing. I bring this to my clients' attention all the time because it really does change your life when we break this really unkind habit. The critical and judging mind is more in control than we believe. If we pay attention to our thoughts during an average day, we will come to know just how often we criticize people for no other reason than habit. I broke this habit by catching the criticism and replacing the degrading thoughts with thoughts of love and admiration for the person. I reflected on the negativity and put myself in the place of the person and thought how awful I would feel if these unconscious critical thoughts were directed at me instead of coming from me. Once I saw how destructive these thoughts were to my own well-being and how unkind they were to my fellow human beings, I stopped doing it. I also became really curious. What is it about this person that is triggering this response from me? I came to realize that every person that I had a comment about had something to teach me. Once I saw the lesson that they were presenting to me, I immediately went to a place of gratitude. I understand we are not going to agree with everyone or make the same choices as everyone. But I also think that this is what makes life interesting and beautiful. As the saying goes, live and let live. So let's clear our minds of critical and hurtful thoughts. If you would like to learn more about Blissful Living, please contact me at richardperro.com. productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach On Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Amy Collins, a mindful living instructor and founder of Create Clarity. Amy offers classes to help individuals clarify who they are, reconnect with their genuine values, reawaken their intuition, and make a transformational shift to live a more vibrant life. She's here today to talk about defining motherhood. Welcome, Amy. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Joan. Good to be here. So, Amy, I'm a mom and you're a mom. And as mothers, we fulfill so many different jobs that it's really hard to sum up what we do. How would you concisely define motherhood? <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> and can you? <laughs> my most, yes, yes. It's, it's interesting. I've seen uh, TV shows where women have been asked, like on Modern Family, where Claire's asked, what do you do all day? And it, she, she kind of stumbles. And uh, my most concise answer would be is, you know, as mothers, it, it's an amazing journey and it ebbs and flows, but it begins by giving birth to a completely helpless infant. And then we have this awesome, amazing responsibility to raise that person to become an independent, healthy adult that thrives in our society and gives back. So that's how I would define motherhood. And it's, it's, definitely not a straight point A to point B. There's a lot in between that comes into and uh, we need to incorporate as moms to raise these little people to become phenomenal citizens. We're thrust into what is probably the most important job of our life with no training. We have no idea what we're doing. Absolutely. And it's amazing because I think, you know, in our current world, 
so many women are the main breadwinners now and they've attended college also. And, you know, being a mom is the most important. It's an essential role in our society. And yet we can sometimes feel a little bit diminished because we don't need a specific degree in it and we don't earn a salary. So what we need to remember as mothers is that we need to come together and value our role first and foremost because a lot of times in society, you know, people ask, oh, do you work or what do you do? And they're talking about your professional job Mm -hmm. and people can get that mixed up. Um, Whereas, you know, I used to say, oh, I'm just a mom. Nowadays, I say I'm currently raising two young women to become the best people they can be. Mm -hmm. So it's really, we have to mentally embrace that role and own it. Amy, I'm a college graduate, and 26 years ago, when I was working for a Fortune 500 company, I made the decision to be a stay-at-home mom. And I remember when I was getting divorced after being a stay-at-home mom at that point for 17 years and being a person who ran every aspect of our home, I mean everything, my Mm -hmm. ex told me that it killed him to give me half of his 401k that he worked for. Do you think our society diminishes the role of moms because we don't earn a salary or get a specific degree in it? Unfortunately, at, t- at times I do think our society does does do that. And um, I've had women write in to me saying that, you know, they've made a choice to raise their children and whether they work full-time, part-time, or they're stay-at-home moms, they're also choosing to become mothers and raise these little human beings to become functioning, productive adults. Amy, thank you so much for being here with us. If you would like to learn more about Amy and her work, you can visit her website, createclarity.net. And to hear more from Amy, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Amy. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Conversations with Joan, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.